will be in 2 Corinthians 5, but first let me tell you about where we've been. We have been looking at how every member of our church, every Christian, uh, um, is called to be a minister, a priest, a missionary. Uh, there's many things that we're called to. We've, we've specifically been looking at these three. Um, and, and in this, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4 and how Jesus came to the earth and he, he, in sense, was a missionary by leaving heaven, leaving home, right, and coming to this world that he had created and created perfectly. However, sin had affected it. Sin had, after the fall, we see that sin has taken root and the effect that it has had on the people who were created in God's image and the world that he created that was good. And, and his, his creation is still good. It's just tainted by, by sin and the fall. And so... As we looked in Ephesians chapter 4, we saw that uh, when, when Jesus came and he died and he gave his life for us, uh, after he rose again, he was raised and, and not only raised to life, but he eventually ascended into heaven. And he said in Ephesians chapter 4 that if Jesus wouldn't have ascended, if he, wouldn't have, if he never would have descended, if he never would have came down to heaven, then he couldn't have ascended. And if he wouldn't have ascended, he couldn't have sent his spirit. And, and when the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit gave us gifts, the spiritual gifts that God has given each one of us to use in service to him in the, in the church, in the life of the church. Um, there's a debate out on this, but I think I might have the gift of teaching, although some, some would argue that I, I need to work on that. Um, but we have been given gifts, all of us, to serve him, to serve his, his kingdom, to serve his church. And, and not only did he give us gifts, but he's also given us leaders, leaders to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And, and so the job of, of the spiritual leaders, as specifically he named some in Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you are the saints, the church, we are all the saints. And therefore, what do we call people who do the work of the ministry? Ministers. And so every member is a minister. And then we looked at how in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, how God compared his people to a kingdom of priests or a royal priesthood. And we saw God at work in that. And then the last thing that we looked at, the last two weeks, we looked at how he has called us all to be missionaries. Now, depending on what we mean by that word missionary, we're not not all called to go into a foreign culture and live there and move to another country and live there, although some of us are. And so we've looked a little bit at that too. And so the sermon that I was going to not look at in detail is the one that we're going to look at in detail today. And I've mentioned some of these verses. I've mentioned some of these things over the last four weeks. And as I've been mentioning them, the thought has kept coming up, maybe I should just preach that too. And uh, I was like, oh, no, it's okay. I, I need to move on. I've got a plan. Um, I'm a, I like to stick to my plan. I don't like, I'm a Baptist. I don't like change. And so, uh, but I decided this week on Monday that, you know what, um, I do need to preach this. And as I was, I just read it again, I, I was actually trying to prepare what's next. And I just kept coming back to this and I, I just couldn't leave it. And so I'm very excited about this, and, and I want to give you some context here because sometimes we can go to a passage and we can clearly understand all that's going on 
without even really knowing the context. It stands alone. It could. It could. It, it, we, we like to look at the context, but it could stand alone. But with this, I do think that it's really important for us to be able to understand the text, to know a little bit about what's going on here. And so if you know anything about the church at Corinth, it was a church that Paul loved, but it was a church that had some problems. And he had already written first, the first letter to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians, and he had... Get, He was pretty stern in that letter. He got on to them, and he was pretty stern. And earlier in this letter, earlier in 2 Corinthians, and then even later he talks about it some more, he has not apologized for writing that letter, but he basically said, I hope you know that I wrote that out of love, out of deep affection, and that I wrote it in tears. I did not want to write it, but it's what needed to be said. And so I love you, and that's why I wrote it. However... Some, some false teachers at the church of Corinth were using his letter and Paul's rebuke as fuel to get people to turn to what they were trying to teach them and turn away from what Paul was trying to teach them. And so that's the context of what's going on here as we get into 2 Corinthians. And at the end of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5, he has talked about um, how our bodies are temporary, our bodies are fragile, and that we will be given new bodies in in eternity. But right now, we're in these bodies that will give out. Unless Christ returns, these bodies will eventually decay and and fade. And we've seen that. We've all seen that. I mean, you know, we we went to the Razorback game yesterday. Sorry to bring that up. But um, just going up and down the stairs, I was like, oh. And John Michael's just running, you know. He's just like, come on, Dad. I'm like, slow down, man. As we get older, our bodies get closer to death. And that's that could be a grim thought, but it could also be a, a very challenging, driving thought to know that realistically that our time here on earth is limited. And if we know that our time is limited, then it gives us the ability to live now fully. And so that's really important for us as Christians to realize that we don't, as we mentioned last week about seasons of life being temporary, and how, you know, I used the example of when I was in high school, I only had a few months as a Christian to share the gospel with people. And then even when I went to college, I mean, I had 12 years there. Okay, maybe not that long. But... I had several years there where I was able to share the gospel, but you know what? Several years flies by as we, of, you know, I'm, I'm only 38, but it already, it already flies by for me. And so knowing that, knowing that life is temporary, knowing the importance of making it count, knowing that life is eternal and that if we don't, not just take care of what's going on with us on this side of eternity, but if we're not concerned with the people around us, then we're in trouble. And with that, we get to verse 11. Every member and ambassador. This is a conclusion, although it might be two sermons if I can't get through all these verses. And, and I put the wrong end verse. We're going to go through actually verse 13, but I think I did it right in the scripture. Uh, I went back and added a couple of verses to what I was going to be doing. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 11, therefore, 
So what's that therefore? Therefore, right, we, we've talked about that. Therefore, since life is temporary, since life is short, since we, we have to, you know, know that um, our bodies are going to give out, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, I know I've, I say this often, but I just want to be clear. The fear of the Lord is not just us being scared of God and what he might do to us. Fear of the Lord is reverence. It's an understanding of God's power and our righteous response to that, our right response to that. And so, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We, being Paul and his people that work with him, his, his, his crew, and then we, today, being us as Christians, therefore, we persuade others. We want others to know how short life is. We want others to know that God is eternal and that he is offering us eternal life. We persuade others, but what we are is known to God. So Paul, of course, here, this is where it comes into play, that people have been saying things about him that are not true. But not only that, they've been saying that what Paul teaches isn't true, which it is. And so we are, what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. So he's saying, regardless of what people may be saying, I hope you can trust and believe what we're saying and that the Holy Spirit, you know, your conscience in this case is affirming that. Verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So the people who are going against Paul are all about works. They're all about what things appear like on the outside. Very similar to the Pharisees when we look at the life of Jesus and how he had to come into contact with the Pharisees. Uh, By the way, if you remember Paul's story, he was a Pharisee before he um, became a Christian, as to the law, a Pharisee. And so here he is saying that we care about what God has done in our hearts. We care about the spiritual change that has happened inwardly. And if a spiritual change has happened inwardly, then of course there's going to be external change. If someone is truly saved, how can they help but change the way they live, change the way they act? And, and, but Paul is saying, but we don't earn our salvation by this external thing. We don't earn our salvation at all. It's given to us by grace and, and it's done inwardly. But he's warning them about people who say that you have to do works in order to have salvation and so it's about what is in the heart verse 13 for if we are beside ourselves it is for God if we are in our right mind it is for you he's saying I might seem insane the stuff that I'm talking about might seem insane it might seem like I'm out of my mind which some translations actually translated exactly like that I'm out of we're out of our mind. If we're out of our mind, it's for God. And if, if we're beside ourselves in ESV, it's for God. If we seem that way, it's for God. If they are living their life, these crazy radicals for Jesus, it's for God. And if we seem sane, it's only for you. We're only acting like that so that you'll listen to what we're saying and be able to understand us. Because the truth is, is we really are crazy for Jesus. That's what he's saying. And so my question to you is, are you crazy for Jesus? Do people think you're out of your mind? Do they look at the way you live your life and think, 
what in the world is going on here? Why are they giving away that much money? Why are they forgiving so freely? Why are they doing this and doing that? These people must be crazy. We are. We should be. We should be crazy compared to what the way the world lives. People should look at us and say, man, this is different. They should see a difference. And if they don't, then there is something wrong with the way that we're living our lives. There is something wrong with that. But what Paul would say is, is that it's not just something wrong with the way we're living our lives. There's something wrong with what's happening inwardly. Because if something true and radical is happening inwardly, then how can we help but respond to that and act on that publicly? So my question to you this morning is, have you sold out for Jesus in a good way? Are you prepared to do whatever he has called you to do? Are you prepared to live your life in a way where some people might think that you're crazy? And, and not just, you know, like Shell Robinson type crazy. I'm talking about real like, I love you, Cheryl. I thought I'd pick on y'all. Something cool must have happened in Sunday school because I saw y'all turn around and look at each other a second ago. So, all right. Uh, where was I? Thank you. This is good. This is good. This is such a good verse. This is the verse where I thought I have to preach this because I couldn't let go of last week's verse where the Spirit constrained Paul, where he could not help but to go where God was calling him. He could not help but to go to Jerusalem and leave Ephesus and go to Jerusalem because of the Spirit in him was constraining him. It was binding him and causing him to go. When is the last time that the Spirit did that to you? Look at verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Does the love of Christ control us? Do our actions reflect what the love of Christ is, is pushing us, controlling us, bidding us to do? Now, this isn't saying we don't have a choice. You, you know the, uh, uh, what I'm talking about, it's like, get ready for a face to turn red. It's like when I met Rose, and she was amazing, right? I mean, beautiful, smart, loved Jesus. I mean, her dad was okay. I had to get past that, but uh, he's, he's here this morning. Uh, but anyway, she, I, look. What choice did I have but to try to pursue her? Now, she had the choice to be smart and say, I don't think so, buddy. But thankfully, um, God blinded her common sense in that case. But, like, she was so amazing, it would be ignorant for me not to pursue her, right? And multiply that, and that's what we have with God. When God puts something on our heart, when God puts something in our soul... We cannot help but to do what he has designed us to do and, and what he has called us to do and what he has put in us to do. That's why I believe why so many Christians are miserable is because God has called us to live these crazy radical lives for him out of our mind. And what do we do but just play this religious game of coming to church and being good 
and, and, and th- those type of things, which those things in themselves aren't bad, but if you're just doing them out of religion or routine and not for Christ and not out of love and not out of zeal, then it becomes dry. Who, who would want to come to a church service on Sunday mornings and just hear this guy rave, rave on about the Bible? Who would want to come and sing karaoke with a bunch of other people who sometimes sound great and sometimes not so great? If it wasn't some sort of spiritual community, if it wasn't something more than just the actions themselves, there is something more to it. It is worship. It is community. It is koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship and togetherness and just oneness, unity in a group. That's what we're trying to do. And, and is the love of Christ controlling us? That's the, the important question, in, in my opinion, in what we're doing. I don't know if I'll be a pastor for the rest of my life. I don't know that question. I know some guys who say, man, I'm called to be a pastor. I know that. I couldn't do anything else. And I'm, I'm glad that those guys have that passion and that feeling. Um, but I feel that commitment to Jesus for sure. I know I'll be serving Jesus for the rest of my life. And I know I'll be serving him with a, my whole heart. And, and I, I say I know that. There is something inside of me that says that, that's, that testifies to that. That as long as I keep my eyes on him, as long as I stay accountable, then I am, I am in love with him. And I want to live my life for him. And so, if that's true, then what he wants should control what I do. Who he is should control who I am. So, is that happening in your life? And be honest. Be honest. It's just you and God in your mind right now. Think about this. Is who Jesus is controlling who you are? And is what he wants controlling what you do? Does the love of Christ control you? Back to verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. So it, it controls them because of this conclusion. And it's really important when we're looking at a passage of Scripture to see what's going on here. For the love of Christ controls us. That's a very important thing that I just spent some time talking about. But there's a because here. For the love of Christ controls us because. So if we don't know what the because is, then we're going to be in trouble. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Why does the love of Christ control them? Because Christ has saved them. And Christ can save you. Christ can save anyone. He he won't save everyone, but he could save everyone, I believe. And that if we put our faith in him, if we put our trust in him, if we call out to him for salvation, if God has stirred that in us, if the love of Christ is controlling us and causing us to do that, then he will save us. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is why the love of Christ controls them, 
Because look at him. Look at Jesus. Turn your eyes to him. Look at what he's done for you. Look at what he's done for the world. How could it not control us? Look at how he took foolishness and made it miraculous. That God would even create us. And then that he would even send his son to die for us. And he did those things out of his love. How could that not affect the way we live our lives? And I'm not saying that if if you're not responding to my preaching right now, then something's wrong, because that could be, you know, my fault. But if if you're not responding to what the Word of God says in the love of Jesus controlling us, then we have to look inwardly and ask what's going on. All right, verse 6. I'm sorry, I'm way off. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So, look, Paul, he was a Pharisee. He looked at the works of Jesus. He thought Jesus was trying to bring up an earthly kingdom. And he's saying, I'm not, we don't, we don't look at Jesus like that anymore. And we don't look at people like that anymore. It's not about what we can do. It's not about the works we do. It's about who he is. It's about what he has done inside of us. It's about the love that he has put in our hearts and how we cannot help but to act on it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And, and briefly, I, I've got a lot more to go, and we've only got 20 minutes. So briefly, let me say that it's important for us to realize the already but not yet nature of some of the things in the kingdom of God, right? Um, are we saved? If we put our faith in Jesus, we're saved right now. But are we still awaiting salvation? Yeah, like in its fullest sense, in, in no more sin and no more pain and no more sickness or death, yes, we are. And so it's, for those of us who put our faith in him, we're already saved, and yet we're awaiting that salvation. And so we've already been made new, and yet, we still struggle with that old man, don't we? And so it's important for us to realize that aspect of some things. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So here we go. Now we're getting into it because we already know we're ministers, right? If we put our faith in him, we're ministers, And here's a specific ministry that every single minister has, the ministry of reconciliation. God has saved us. He has reconciled us through Jesus with himself. He has made us right with him through Jesus. And now it's our job to go out and tell other people about this. I I don't understand how there are people of faith who don't believe it's our responsibility to evangelize or share the gospel. Because in passages like this, it's so clearly there that we have a responsibility to be ministers of reconciliation. It is our job to go and tell a world who doesn't know Jesus that 
that they need him and that he can redeem them, that he can forgive them, that he can restore them to, who, the, to the relationship that they're supposed to have with God. It's our job to go and tell them. In Romans, Paul tells us that if we don't go and tell them, if they don't hear, then how will they ever call on him? How will they be saved? And so it's our responsibility to go and tell them. It's our responsibility to share the love of Christ with them. It's our responsibility to be ministers of reconciliation. And so as we look at this passage, as we see this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let me ask you something. I want to, in your head, I want you to think ab about the most evil person you know. Okay? Don't, don't look around the room if, if they're in here. I'm just take it. Hopefully the most evil person you know is not in here. All right. Can God forgive that person if that person calls out to him in true faith and asks him for forgiveness? Yes. He can forgive you in here. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God can forgive. But you also better believe that uh, God knows the games we try to play too. And if we're not truly crying out for in repentance, if, if we're just walking in aisle, if we're just saying a prayer, if we don't mean it, if, there's not, if, if this isn't a true experience between us and God of salvation, then all we're doing is getting a little exercise and saying a little words. And so it, it, we have to truly cry out in faith. And if we do, God is able to forgive us of anything. And for those of us who have been saved, who have been forgiven of that anything, it is our job to go and tell other people, to be ministers of reconciliation. And he's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. And since he's done that, verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. I want you to think of all the lost people you know. Start, start going over them in your head. Think of your children or your grandchildren or your parents or your grandparents. Think of your friends at school or your friends at work. Think about people you grew up with or people who... Um, you, you, you met recently, think about people that you attend school with, think about the people you see at the restaurants where you eat, the people who work there, the people who eat with you. Think about the people that you see as you're walking through the grocery store or, or getting gas. Think about all the people that you know who might not have a relationship with Jesus. Think about it. And now think about the truth that God has given us a message of reconciliation so that we could be ministers of reconciliation so that the God of reconciliation can make that happen. And if we don't take that message to them, how will they know? We are ambassadors for Christ. We're not just ministers. We're not just priests. And we're not just missionaries. We are ambassadors for Christ. And there is a world full of people out there who need to know his message. And look, from the guilt aspect of it, we can look at it, and, and, and I'm not saying this is unhealthy. I'm just saying from one perspective, we can look at it and say, uh, man, all these people, if, if I don't take that message to them, their blood is on my hands, like Ezekiel and, and the watchman 
if, if I don't warn them of the danger that is coming, their blood is on my hands. And then we can look at it from another perspective and look at it and see how awesome God is and look at how he has made us ministers of reconciliation, how he has reconciled us with himself, how he has forgiven us and forgiven our sins, forgiven all of our trespasses, and he has done that for us, that, that God sent his son, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. When we think about those things and we think about how awesome God is, how can we not help but want to tell people about our Jesus? How can we not help but want to tell people about God? I mean, my kids are pretty awesome. They're not God, but they're pretty awesome, and I can't help but to tell stories about them and what they've done. I love Rose, and if you're around me very long, you're going to hear about that, and you're going to see that. I can't help but to talk about how awesome Rose is because I love her. How much more should we talk about God than even our wife or our children? How much, if we're not talking about him, then the love of Christ does not control us. And that should hit home. That, that should, I'm not saying we don't love him. I'm just saying his love might not control us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven smelling like smoke, like I barely escaped hell. I want to get to heaven and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to get to heaven, and I want to know that I've done everything I can to be a minister of reconciliation, to take the message that God has entrusted to me and shared it with as many people who would listen. And I don't want to be obnoxious about it. I don't want to be a jerk about it. But I do want people to think every once in a while that I'm out of my mind. I do want people every once in a while to, to think, man, I don't know if what he believes is true, but he really believes it. At minimum, I want that. I'm running out of time. I got I to gotta press on. I'm going to start over at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This isn't just saying that he has made us righteous. We have become the righteousness of God. He has taken his righteousness and put it on us, and he's taken our sin and put it on Jesus. And then punished that sin on the cross. And so, praise God that our righteous God, that our just God has given us an opportunity to know him and to, that he is willing to forgive us even though we don't deserve it and we can't earn it. He does it by his grace. Chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. There's a lot of people who hear the story of Jesus, and they think, oh, Jesus is God, and he can forgive sins, um, and they say this prayer, God, forgive me of my sins, and yet no change happens, and they continue to live their life on. Now, I can't individually say whether a person is a Christian or not. I can't see their heart. I don't know, but the biblical prescription is we follow Jesus. We, we put our faith in him. We follow him. He changes our heart. That changes our actions. And so if that change doesn't occur, 
then it's possible that people have received the grace of God in vain, meaning that they truly don't have a relationship with him, that they've heard the message, they've seen him at work, they've tasted a little hint of his goodness, but they've received it in vain. There's no real relationship. For he says, in a favorable, favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. He's quoting Isaiah here. And look at how Paul responds to what Isaiah said, and what he's saying Jesus said, for God said. Uh, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the time of salvation. We don't need to wait for salvation. Salvation is here. We can turn to God now. Now is the day of salvation. And then just to like say, hey, this, this is what I'm speaking is true. Let me show you why you should trust me. He's going to give a little bit of a resume of what he and his fellow workers have gone through and how they went through it and what they, how they accomplished what God had called them to do. And so I'm just going to read this. I'll break it down into those three things. But beginning in verse 3, he says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. He's saying that's what we've been through for the message of Christ. That's why people think we're out of our mind because we're willing to go through this stuff for Christ. So don't you believe that I really believe what I'm saying if I'm willing to go through this stuff? That's what he's telling the Corinthians. And then not only did they go through that, but look how they went through it, like the character that they had. Verse 6, by Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. So they handled it. They went through persecution and they handled it the right way. And then look at what they tried to accomplish while they were going through it. What they did to, to be ministers of reconciliation. What they did with the message that Jesus had entrusted to them. Look at what they did by truthful speech. He's saying, I'm telling the truth. This is the gospel. This is truth. And the power of God. And so is the power of God at work in our lives. With weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor. Through slander and praise. We are treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold we live. As punished and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many rich. As having nothing yet possessing everything. This is what we have. It doesn't matter what it looks like, what we're going through. It doesn't matter what's happen, happening outwardly. Some people, some uh, flavors of Christianity would say that if bad stuff is happening to you, then you must have done something wrong, and that's inevitable. And, and while that can be true, bad stuff can happen to us because we've done stuff wrong, that is not always the case. Sometimes we're going through persecution and, and pain and suffering because God wants to make big things in our life through those circumstances. In John chapter 8, the disciples asked, whose fault is it that this man was born blind? And what was Jesus' response? No one. He was born blind so that, so that the power of God may be made clear through him. Maybe you're going through something so that people around you can see how you're handling it and that the power of God may be shown through you. Even in our circumstances, we are ministers of reconciliation. Even in, in our circumstances, we are ambassadors for Christ. We have a responsibility 
to show Jesus to a lost and dying world. And then look at verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. He's calling them out by name. This is like me saying uh, Emma Rose. If you hear that Rose, you know she's done something wrong or I want to get her attention. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. That's, that's, that's deep and harsh. What is stopping you from being controlled by the love of Christ? What is stopping me from being controlled by the love of Christ? It's my own affections. It's because I'm in love with other things. My love for Jesus is not what controls me. It's my love for comfort. It's my love for prosperity. It's my love for you fill in the blank. And our loves for those things often control us more than our love for Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affection. In return... I speak as to children, widen your hearts. What if God, what if, what if we were controlled by the love of God? What if all of us in this room were controlled by the love of God? I can imagine. I can imagine what it would be like, Ken, if we were controlled by the love of God. Who would we go and tell with abandon about the love of Jesus? Who could we take our message of reconciliation too if we were controlled by the love of Christ how much money would we be willing to spend to help those in need if we were controlled by the love of Christ how much how how many sacrifices would we be willing to make that would cost us something in order to help other people if we were controlled by the love of Christ If we were controlled by our love for Christ and for others, what changes might happen in our life? I want to show you a video as we close. In this video, um, it's people who are controlled by the love of Christ. It's three years old. Many of you may have seen it, but I want you to see it again. And for some of you, you haven't seen it. And Randy, you might have to turn it up a little bit. But as you watch this video, I hope that you're asking yourself, what do I do? Where do I go? What's next? What now? Because when we're controlled by the love of Christ, it's what he wants. Right? As we've been saying for weeks, as I've been saying since I arrived in Mansfield, our yes has to be on the table. Whatever he wants, yes, 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 yes. Whatever you want, God. You want me to speak to this person? Yes. You want me to sacrifice this thing? Yes. You want me to look crazy in front of everybody? Okay. Whatever you want, I'm here to do it. I want to do it. I love you. I'm controlled by your love. And here's the thing. You can't fake being controlled by the love of Christ. You'll burn out if you're trying to do it on your own strength. You'll burn out if you're trying to make decisions and move places because you might think it's the right thing to do. I'm talking about being controlled by the love of God. I'm talking about being constrained by the Holy Spirit, as Paul said last week. I'm talking about you know that there are changes that need to happen in your life, and you love him, and so you're going to be disciplined, sure. You're going to put in your effort from the human side of things, absolutely. But 
you're going to rely on the power of God and, and the Holy Spirit to help you be who God has called you to be. Let's watch this video together. So, not to give a plug for Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we'll be focusing on that a little bit later in the year. But I wanted you to see these missionaries, some of our own, uh, who have given their life because the love of Christ controlled them. And what would that look like for us right here if the love of Christ controlled us? Some of you would become missionaries. I have no doubt about that. And when I say missionaries, I mean in the foreign culture sense. But all of us would be missionaries where we are, as several people in that video said. So during, right now, during this invitation, I just want you to respond to God in whatever way the love of God is controlling you right now. You need salvation? He can reconcile you. You need to cry out to him and ask, God, where is that passion for you? Why is your love not controlling me? What is wrong in my life? What changes do I need to make? Do I just need to cry out to you more? Do I need to beg you for, the, for your love, for you, the power of the Holy Spirit to control me, to lead me, to guide me? I don't know how God works. He works in mysterious ways, but I know that sometimes when we cry out to him, he hears our cries and responds to them and gives us what we're crying for. And so you respond to God in whatever way he's leading. Lord, help us. God, I pray that you would help each one of us to follow you wherever you lead us. And that when we sing the words of the song, that we would mean it. And God, for those, of, those people in this room who are controlled by your love, I thank you for them. I thank you for what they mean to our church and our community. And God, all of us at times, Lord, we slip back into our old way of thinking. We slip back into allowing other things to be on the throne of our heart where the love for other things control us rather than your love. And so right now, I just pray that you would help all of us, Lord, to cry out to you, to help your love control us, Lord. And God, I just pray that you would do that in our lives and what it would mean for the people around us, what it would mean for the people who need you. God, help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Help us to be ambassadors for you wherever you have us, right here in Mansfield and to the ends of the earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and you respond to God in whatever way he's leading.